session with Dr. Farid Holakwi. Good evening. Welcome to In Session. I'm your host, Dr. Fadi Tolokwin. I'll be with you for the next hour here on Radio Hamra. Doing the show on Instagram Live. Hope to see you on there. Uh, but if not, you can also follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show or suggest topics or books for the program. And the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Um, let's get into the books of the week. The book for this week is Humankind by Rutger Bregman. Humankind, A Hopeful History. And um, I'd seen this book uh, by Rutger Bregman about looking at history, not from sometimes the perspective we usually have that's about uh, war and everything negative that it means to be human, but actually that maybe human kindness might be something, or if we look at it through that lens, we might have a different experience or understanding of history. So obviously haven't started the book, so I don't know much other than that description, but the book is called Humankind, A Hopeful History by Rutger Bregman. Look forward to reading it and sharing it with you on next week's show. This, this week's book of the week is The Five Languages of Apology by Gary Chapman and Jennifer Thomas. The Five Languages of Apology, How to Experience Healing in All Your Relationships. And the title and the author might sound familiar, The Five Languages of Apology. Uh, Gary Chapman wrote a book, a very well-known book for relationships called The Five Love Languages, which essentially looks at how people experience and express love in different ways and what he called five different languages. So if you express love to someone in a language that they don't experience as a love language, just like a language, they won't be able to understand it or take it in. So that was the premise of that book. So in the five languages of apology, it has that similar theme of looking at apologies and how people might express them and experience them in different ways. And so while one person might think they've apologized, the other person maybe won't feel the apology is genuine or something will feel missing to them or for them. And so, although maybe even the words might be uttered, something won't be there. And so he outlines it in this book. He's joined by um, a, a clinical psychologist, Jennifer Thomas, looking at five different languages of apology. Now, um, it's a little bit different to me because in the love languages book, sometimes they're much more separate, whereas it's very hard to do a apology with just one of the languages, which I will get into. But nonetheless, it, it is important because people often will experience that they didn't think the person even apologized because something was missing. So uh, I'll get into those languages. Of course, what we also want to look at is why are apologies important? And really to have any healthy relationship for any period of time, it's inevitable that apologies will need to be a part of that relationship because inevitably, hopefully unintentionally, you will do something that hurts the other person and vice versa. It's just a part of human relationships. We do things that hurt or upset the other person 
Sometimes it's something we don't even realize might hurt them. Sometimes we forget something. So sometimes it's things we don't do. It's not always something you do. Um, but we inevitably will hurt one another. And so if we are not willing to apologize, we are not willing to do the work it takes. And one of the aspects of the work it takes to maintain a healthy and strong relationship. So if we don't apologize and things are not resolved, it kind of acts like debris that builds up on, we can consider like a wire between you and whoever the loved one is. Of course, we often think of it in romantic relationships, but in every relationship, we need apologies. So there is this wire that's kind of like the connection. And if you have things build up on that wire, the strength of that connection becomes weaker. And that's exactly what we see in relationships when people don't apologize and don't make right the wrongs that have happened in the relationship. Unfortunately, it leads to the connection becoming weaker, the love becoming weaker, the positive feelings becoming weaker, negative feelings becoming stronger, and the relationship weakens as that strength of that connection weakens with this buildup of debris. And not only is it a buildup of debris, sometimes when things are not resolved, it turns into a bomb that goes off and, off and completely can disrupt and destroy the relationship. So really you have to think about if you want to have a strong relationship, you have to be willing to acknowledge wrongdoing or hurting your partner and expressing it as well. Because without that expression, the other partner oftentimes won't know that you're hurt or upset. So you need both sides of that. But we have to acknowledge and accept this aspect of healthy relationships, which is if I want to have a strong relationship with someone, I have to be open and willing to apologize to them. So apologies are very, very important. And very often what I see in therapy is people coming in. And the main thing is that relationships have been ruined because things have happened and they have not been dealt with. And the person who has hurt the other one has not acknowledged how that person is hurt and the pain continues to burn and fester and become even worse and destroy the relationship. Or even people come into therapy and have issues with their parents that were never acknowledged. And through the course of therapy, we're trying to address those issues. But something I've talked about on the show before is the fastest way to actually heal the relationship would be if the person who hurt whoever is in my office in that moment were to acknowledge and apologize for what happened. Sometimes that doesn't happen or is not possible or even the person has now died and is no longer with us to have that possibility. But regardless, oftentimes the person has to go through that process alone, which is much harder and takes longer. Um, in therapy, it might help in that process, but it still won't take as long as that acknowledgement and apology from the person that has hurt you. So we should not underestimate or undermine the significance of genuine apologies when you really feel it and really say it, uh, it's necessary to have a relationship. You can't have a strong relationship without uh, apologies being part of it that you acknowledge. Maybe later in the show, I'll talk about people who might apologize too much or too little, both of which can happen. Um, but to have a healthy relationship, genuine apologies must be a part of it. So let me go through those five um, languages of apology that they express in the book. So the first one is expressing regret, which they have a sentence after each one that gives you an idea. It's, I am sorry. So in expressing regret, this is showing that you feel hurt by what has happened. 
So um, if you really did something that you feel like hurt someone you love, it will make you feel bad. So for some people, hearing that is very important. I am sorry. I am hurt or I feel guilt or embarrassment or shame that I've hurt you in this way. So for some people, that's going to be important, expressing regret. The second one is accepting responsibility. I was wrong. Um, acknowledging that you did something wrong could be very important for many people to hear, to get that sense that you recognize it was wrong. Oftentimes people will say, well, I don't know if you got hurt. Maybe it's because you're sensitive. It was your own fault or it's on you. I didn't do anything wrong. Uh, and so this will very likely not feel like an apology to someone. It'll feel like we're blaming them for getting hurt, not an, at all taking any responsibility. So that's language two, accepting responsibility. The third love lang uh, apology language, rather, is making restitution. What can I do to make it right? So for some people, this can be the most significant part of a apology is to somehow hear how is the person going to try to fix things, make them right. So if you hurt them in some way, you forgot their anniversary, how are you going to make up for it? Or if you um, did something they didn't like, can you somehow make it right? Maybe you made a joke in front of some friends that made them feel bad. Could you somehow go back to that group or in some way show them that what you said was wrong and you regret it and, or give them compliments about you, something um, to make it right. So making restitution is the third apology language. The fourth one is genuinely repenting. I'll try not to do that again. And this can be a very important part of an apology because if you really feel like what you did was wrong and feel bad about it, then you should want to not do that again. So for some people, they'll even want to hear a plan or at least something that makes it clear you're going to put efforts to not do this again. You don't feel good about hurting the person. And so it's very important that you let them know, I don't want to do this again. How can you help me even to, to make this not happen? And the last one is requesting forgiveness. Will you please forgive me? For some people, they want to hear that. And actually, for some people, this can be very hard to say, will you please forgive me? It, it seems like you're giving a lot of power to the other person. But really what it means is that if you recognize you've hurt someone and it's a genuine hurt and you recognize that it is significant, you're letting them know you recognize that a Forgiveness is not instant. It is not something that should just happen automatically. And this is, uh, I'll tie this into some thoughts on apologies in general, where people often think that if they just said, I'm sorry, or if they apologize, they should be granted forgiveness. And so you hear this even in the ways that people apologize, and even the motivation to apologize is less about expressing to the person that you've hurt them and it's about their feelings. It's about your own feelings of not wanting to have that guilt or feel bad about what you did. So they might say, okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Are we okay? It's good, it's good. And you feel this pressure. It's more of a demand for forgiveness than an expression of wrongdoing and being sorry and asking to make sure the other person feels okay. So we even have to ask ourselves, what's my motivation when I apologize? If the intention is just to make sure you're okay, and that's not really a genuine apology. It's more about making sure you feel all right. 
Um, so there's these five languages of apology, and as in the five love languages book, there's a, a test at the end, and there's ones online that you can take to see what is your primary, or maybe you have two apology languages that are important for you. Now, I think most people will want to hear more than one of them, and it's hard to even say an apology without some of these words, but sometimes people won't say, I'm sorry, um, or they were wrong. But usually people want more than one of these. So you shouldn't just think it's only important to say one thing, but that you want to make sure, let's say if you know your partner has a specific apology language, that you want to make sure your apologies to that person include that language because that's very important for them to get. It might not even feel like an apology until they hear those words or that phrase. So it's good to know that. And so it recommends that first know your own apology language. You can take the test to understand yourself better. Maybe when you hear them, you resonate with one or two of them more than the others. So you want to know yourself, but you also want to know your partner and or someone else that you're dealing with. Now, if you can't get them to take this test, um, sometimes we can't just force someone to take the test or if they don't want to do that, um, what you can uh, do is try to figure it out. So you can see how do they apologize? Because the way, just like with our love language, it's a similar theme. The ways we tend to express love, let's say if it's words of affirmation or physical touch or acts of service, that's usually the way we would want to be loved too. So similarly, the way they might apologize or what seems to be the ways they tend to apologize will likely be the ways they want to be apologized too. Or you can ask them, what about what I did hurt you the most? And that might give you an idea of how you can repair what has happened. But it can be important to know what your partner or whoever it is in this interaction feels bad about. That can help you understand how to apologize. But I think it's a, it's a great book, or at least the focus of it uh, can be very important to look at. Of Apologies, first of all, I wanted to read this book. Actually, I ordered the book. I got it in, I think it was Mandarin um, before, which was kind of interesting because I couldn't read the language of the book called Five Lo uh, Languages. But finally, I got this book as a gift, which I really appreciate. Um, and it's a topic I, I try to bring up every so often, but one I wanted to focus on because I think the power of genuine apologies is so important, necessary in order to have healthy relationships. And very often people don't apologize because for several reasons, and, and discussed this a book in the book, but sometimes we feel like if we apologize, there's weakness if we apologize. So even taking a step back, you first have to accept you're a human being, you make mistakes. Even when you try to do things right, you might get it wrong, and that's okay. Um, but as a human being, you have to be willing to accept and acknowledge that you are going to make mistakes. You are going to get it wrong. You are going to hurt your partner, even when you don't intend to hurt that person. You have to be willing to accept that first as an entry point of having a relationship with someone that they are allowed to tell you that they are upset or hurt by you and that you will be open to hearing it. It's not always easy, so I'm not saying it should be easy for you every time. But we have to go in with that mindset that I'm going to hurt you. And think that if you really love someone, if you were to hurt them, you would hope that you would want to make it right. You would hope that you wouldn't want to not know that, let's say, you were doing something. Let's say when you hug them, they have a, a sore rib. And when you hug them, you don't realize you're hurting them. You would hopefully want to know. It doesn't even mean that you're something bad or someone bad. But it just means that you are 
acknowledging that you have hurt them. And sometimes we do things more intentionally, more that we are aware of than in this case of hugging someone who might have an injury that we don't know about. But if we really love someone, we would hope that our mindset is, I want to make sure I don't hurt you, or if I do, that you let me know and I can somehow make it right. And after the break, I'll talk a bit more about the book and also the significance and importance in apologizing and how that can actually contribute to making a stronger relationship. So that was The Five Languages of Apology by Gary Chapman and Jennifer Thomas. After the break, I'll continue the conversation on that topic. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Welcome back. So talking about the book, The Five Languages of Apology, and um, as I mentioned, you know, there's the different languages and people can feel an apology in different ways based on if you express these different elements that they've identified. And usually most apologies will have several of them. I think actually a genuine apology will usually have almost all of these different aspects of an apology, expressing regret, I am sorry, accepting responsibility, saying that what you did was wrong, making restitution, how do I make it right or how can I make it right? Sometimes that's not as possible. Um, Genuinely repenting, I'll try not to do that again. I think that's a very important one also just in in a sense that even if you don't say it, but if you keep doing the same thing over and over again and saying sorry, usually people don't feel like you are sorry because if you are feeling bad about what you did, you wouldn't want to do it again. So um, genuinely repenting makes sense and requesting forgiveness. Will you please forgive me? And and as I touched on in the last segment, uh, forgiveness is not a automatic thing. It's obviously something we want to get to. You know, we talk about if you don't forgive, holding on to that resentment, it's like drinking poison, hoping that it hurts the other person. So forgiveness does us a blessing. Of course, the other person will feel good if they hear and receive our forgiveness, but it is better for us to forgive, but it's not easy, and we have to recognize that. As I mentioned in the last segment, part of therapy at times can be for someone to acknowledge or recognize the pains that others have caused through their relationships and their lives that they've experienced, and helping them work through it and ultimately come to peace and forgive whoever it was, whatever they did, and now it's on them to live their life to the fullest Um, recognizing that what's happened to them is not their fault, but what they do with what's happened to them is going to be your responsibility. We want to get to forgiveness, but it takes time. And so that's something also to recognize. It doesn't feel good if we've hurt someone and if we've been told we hurt them. We do want to make it right. So partially it's coming from a good place. But when you rush someone to forgive, well, that unfortunately will take away the meaning of that apology because you're essentially saying that you're not allowed to be upset or sad anymore. So I think a a healthy apology usually includes this element of trying to make it right, but also expressing, will you forgive me? I want your forgiveness. And um, I understand it could take some time. Or really, I mean, depending on what happens, you know, sometimes people won't ever forgive you for something. I'm talking about really major stuff. Hopefully nothing small makes them feel that way or smaller. Um, but it takes some time, uh, you know, maybe they won't ever forgive you fully, or it, it'll take some time, let's say, to rebuild. If you violate someone's trust in some way, even if they say, I forgive you, it doesn't mean everything goes back to normal. First of all, the forgiveness might take some time, but forgiveness doesn't necessarily mean that trust has been fully restored. 
if you had, uh, you know, uh, someone come to your home and they stole something, you might forgive them, but you might not leave them in your home alone for a while until they showed you that they, they built that trust back up. So it's important to keep that in mind, too, that you might apologize, someone might forgive you, but it doesn't mean the relationship has to necessarily go back to what it was like, depending on what has happened. People can be in a relationship, someone hurts the other person. If the hurt is too bad, they might even say, I forgive you, but I, I can't be with you. But what can hopefully happen, which I want to get to next, is how important this whole process can be in not only, I was saying before, necessary to have a healthy relationship, but in order to build a strong and healthy relationship. So when something happens in a relationship and you are hurt by the other person in the relationship, you can do a few things. One is you can say nothing. And very often this is praised by people saying things like pick your battles, which I understand and to some degree could have some merit. But really, I don't think it's the best advice because what it leads to is people holding things in that hurt them. And so maybe we don't have to think of it as battles that you have to go to war, but that hopefully you can express to your partner with love and kindness even that you were hurt or upset by something they said or did or didn't do. Um, and I think that's very important. So I would always recommend to, to people, if you're in a relationship, express to your partner if you've been hurt by them. But be aware that it's not, it's on you how you express it. So you can do it in a soft way. Um, John Gottman talks about, talks about having a soft startup, meaning the way you open the conversation is very important. And if you start it with an attack and really harsh, then almost definitely you will create a war and a battle that's not going to end well for you or your partner. So it's not a good, uh, it's going to be a lose-lose. So it's important to share that with your partner with some love. You can still have love even if you're hurt, but letting them know how you feel and how you have been hurt. If you don't tell them that you've been hurt, unfortunately you don't have the opportunity to repair what's happened and those feelings don't just go away. And if they did something that can happen again, they might keep doing it, which leads to a building up of resentment, which contributes to distance between you and your partner, emotional distance. You won't feel as close to them if you have that resentment building up. And this is what we tend to see in relationships. Something happens, they don't say something, same thing happens, and then by the 20th time they blow up. And that's bad for everyone. The person didn't even know. Sometimes they say you've done it for 20 times, but the person didn't know those first 19 that it even bothered the other person. So they didn't even know what they were doing was hurtful or upsetting or irritating or whatever the case may be. So it is on us to express that to our partner that we were upset or hurt in some way. And I'm saying partner, but really this extends to all relationships, but especially in that relationship where there's so many interactions, it's more than likely things come up or things will come up more often. So if you hold it in, you might think you're doing something nice to your partner. People say, I, de I never say anything, even though I got upset. I have so much patience. I have so much, you know, tolerance for things as something really good. And it can seem good on the surface, but really when you're not sharing that with your partner, you are creating more space and distance and not giving your partner a chance to make things better. But now if you bring something up, in that moment, it's usually more uncomfortable. It doesn't feel um, really good. This is something that comes up a lot in relationships or in couples therapy. People will say, well, you know, um, I kind of joke how they'll say there's never a good time. 
If they're having a bad day, they'll say, oh, I was having a bad day. You already knew that, and now you brought this up. If they're having a good day, they'll say, oh, I'm having such a good day, and now you messed it up by bringing something up. So really, they make it as if there's no good time, and there really isn't a good time in the sense that it's going to feel good in the moment to have an uncomfortable conversation. They're uncomfortable. You never want to do it as in, I can't wait to, to do that. So um, you want to make sure that you face those uncomfortable conversations, even though they don't feel good. You go get a teeth cleaning, not because it's fun, but because it's good for your teeth to clean things up for your dental health. Um, sometimes I like to use dental health and mental health because they rhyme. But same thing with having these uncomfortable conversations. It's not pleasant in the moment, but it's good for your overall health and the strength and to prevent problems from happening. So it can strengthen and it can also prevent problems from getting worse. Again, similar to when you get uh, a teeth cleaning where things that could become a problem become an issue and you improve the health of your teeth. So when you bring something up, you give your partner the chance to make that repair. I'm telling you this has bothered me. I know it's not easy. Let's have that conversation. And so many things happen with that. First of all, you learn more about your partner. Now I know that this hurts you or upsets you. And sometimes, of course, what we just did was wrong and really bad, but sometimes even more, it might connect to something in their past. You know, when you didn't show up or you showed up late to our date the other night, it hurt me, you know, in a lot of ways, I didn't feel like you respected my time. You know, there might be other things. And then you might say, um, it also reminded me of when I was a kid and my parents would pick me up late from school and there was this feeling of being abandoned or they didn't care. So there was something in that moment that brought up those feelings. So now we see not only do you learn about your partner having um, this experience or these feelings that they had in that moment, but also something about their past that allows you to understand them even better in a deeper way. And now it's opened up a whole other area of conversation and understanding that's also very meaningful. Not only that, you get to work towards righting that wrong. You can't go in the past and now show up on time to whatever. So whatever has happened has happened. But we can change the feelings about what's happened. And this is something that happens in therapy. People will say, oh, this, this. And sometimes when they're maybe feeling uncomfortable with the feelings, they'll say, well, you know what? It's the past. I can't change it. Which is true. Well, obviously, no one can change the past. But we can definitely ch change the way we feel about the past and the ways that our past hurt us. So the events of the past can never change. Our understanding, interpretation, and the feelings we have about the past can change. So if I, you know, the same story, someone doesn't show up or shows up late and you are hurt and you might be mad about it, right? So let's say, you know, I invite you to my house, you don't show up. Let's say it's not COVID time and you don't show up and I'm hurt. I'm upset. I'm like, gosh, this person just didn't show up. That's so messed up. If you then told me your mom was sick in the hospital and you went to the hospital, I could look at that same event and I'll have a very different feeling now that I understand something different about what happened. So the event doesn't change, but my understanding of it has completely changed. And the same thing can happen with our life events and especially in our relational events. If you talk to your partner and show some understanding, show that you hurt, you're hurt that you hurt their feelings, that you want to make it better, that you don't want to do that again, they will feel better about what happened, but they'll also feel better about you and better about the relationship, that you care about them, that you want to make things um, better and stronger in the relationship, that you care about how they feel. And as I mentioned, you'll understand them better. 
you know something about their past, maybe something that they're more sensitive about. You might realize it was wrong, but now you see that this thing hurts them even more than other things, or you didn't know it hurts them so much. So really, this book is about apologizing, which I, I think is a really important and wonderful topic. But I also think it's important to keep in mind the other side of an apology is bringing something up. And I know that can sometimes be looked at as complaining or nagging, which obviously nagging has a very negative connotation, and so does complaining. But really, it's another side or important part of a healthy relationship. You can't really have apologies without someone expressing that they were hurt. Now, sometimes we do something and we realize that it's wrong, and you might say, I'm sorry, before they even have to bring it up. But that's some of the time, and we can't expect and wait for our partner to be a mind reader because they usually will get it wrong or not know what's going on. Only you can express what's in your heart and to your, to your partner, loved one, or whoever it might be. That responsibility is on each of us with the people that we are, are with. And so it's so important that we uh, make sure we express to whoever it is what's going on. You hurt my feelings. And it's hard. It, it takes a certain vulnerability to do that, to say we were hurt. All sides of this can make us feel weak, actually. Apologizing can make people feel weak, acknowledging they did something wrong, asking for forgiveness, all of those things, or I felt bad about it. But saying we got hurt also can make people feel weak and vulnerable. Oh, I don't want to say I got upset. And that's why people sometimes don't say it. They just want you to guess, or they're hoping you'll change, or they don't want to bring it up in that moment. So apologies, super important. But before we get to apologies, it's about expressing that we have been hurt. And that's on each of us that to share. We can't just hope that people will know or guess that they're going to figure it out. And that's another thing you will often see in relationships that they'll say, well, I thought she knew or I thought he knew. And we also go to passive and passive aggressive ways of expressing how we feel. We pout. We give the silent treatment. We might have a little bit lower mood. Let me just not laugh as much and maybe she'll know or he'll know. And then they have to ask because it's so hard for me to express it. So we can't wait for that because if we're passive, or especially if we get to passive aggressive, that's going to be destructive to um, the relationship as well. So when we look at an apology, very, very important. But also the other side is important too. Are we sharing the hurts that we have? Are we expressing the pains that we have to our partner and to our loved one. That side is on us. And then once we've heard them, it's so important to recognize how significant an apology can be, how quickly it can make those painful feelings melt. If the person who hurt us tells us and expresses to us, I'm sorry, I hurt you. I can understand how I hurt you. How can I make it better? And so I, I do recommend this book really for anyone, The Five Languages of Apology. It helps you understand apologies in a better way um, and see that maybe there's more to it than you realize. There are some things in here that were important for me to, to look at and think about these five different aspects. You can take the test. I did see which ones are your primary. I think the top two are my top two, expressing regret and accepting responsibility. Um, if you're in a relationship, it can be good for both of you to take it to understand better what really means an apology to you or what needs to be in there for you to feel that apology. Let's go on to our last commercial break. We'll be right back. Welcome back. So on tonight's show is talking about um, the book, The Five Languages of Apology by Gary Chapman and Jennifer Thomas and talking about apologies in general. And so I wanted to shift 
um, the conversation or maybe expand because this topic it, to me is much more significant than some of the things we're talking about and look at race and racism in America. And it's a topic I have discussed often in the show for since I've started doing it, but especially lately uh, with the more attention that has been brought to it. And so you might wonder, well, I'm talking about race and racism in America and how does that relate to this book about apologies? And the way that it's very much connected to that is that I don't think we will see a resolution of issues related to race and racism, especially when it comes to uh, blacks, African-Americans in the United States, until we go through the process of acknowledgement and apology about what has happened, or essentially the government does that. So you maybe have heard about this when we talk about reparations, um, which is repairing what has happened, what has gone wrong. And before, after the Civil War, there was talk of 40 acres and a mule and things would happen, but never did it happen. Not only that, looking at the different elements of the apology brought up in this book, uh, things, slavery didn't necessarily happen again, although it almost did when you look at the ways that people had to work in the South still after um, the, the Civil War ended. But it wasn't that things got easier and completely good for African Americans or the slaves that were freed and their descendants of the United States. And we still have racism in the United States and had it very heavy, heavily institutionalized. And it still exists now. Maybe it's not written into laws the same way, but it still exists. But going back and, and looking from that time till now, we see that the apology and acknowledgement was not there. And to me, until that happens, we won't be able to resolve this rift that exists in America, this issue that we have that blacks and whites won't be able to resolve until it happens. Now, of course, it doesn't mean individual whites can do something, but that the government can do something. Now, has the U.S. government done reparations before? Yes, it has. So there is some, you can say, precedent, even though every situation would be unique. Uh, when it comes to the Native Americans of the United States, they have been given land and, and billions of dollars and other types of accommodations. Still, it, people would likely say it doesn't make up for everything that was done, and still there's things that could be done. But nonetheless, that's one example of that. Or to um, Japanese Americans, uh, after there was Japanese internment, where essentially Japanese were sent to these concentration camps um, during World War II, Afterwards, I believe a payment of something like $1.5 billion in those dollars back in probably the late 40s what was given to those who were interred, who were put into these concentration camps. So we even have that precedent in the United States that it has happened, but it didn't happen in the United States after slavery and still hasn't happened. We still have these issues related to what I believe is that this horrible wrong that was done has never been made right, has never been acknowledged and apologized for, and uh, restitution was not made in, in this uh, in the sense that needed to happen. And that's why I think until it happens, racism will still be functioning, or this issue of race will still be, unfortunately, a divisive one in the country. You know, I'm a, a therapist, so I work with families, and sometimes they come in and we're talking about some kind of argument they had a year ago. Someone said something really mean or didn't invite someone somewhere. And that 
rift because it was never resolved never lets that relationship get back to being as strong as it can be. And so we're talking about infractions like that, which I don't want to minimize in the sense that I feel like relational things are very important. Of course, I wouldn't be a therapist. I wouldn't do the show if I didn't believe that. But then when we magnify it to a wrongdoing like slavery, we can see that, of course, this type of a, a wrongdoing has to be acknowledged and apologized for very clearly and strongly. And of course, we've also seen it with um, Germany and the Jews after the Holocaust, that there was payments made. I don't know if it was $65 billion, I forgot. I looked it up um, before the show today. But a large amount of money, again, never makes up for um, what has happened. But it's to try to make it more right. You know, when we have restitution, usually it doesn't make it right. For example, in a wrongful death suit, you give money. The money never can make up for having the person back but it's somehow to try to make things more right or a sign of justice even though it won't make it right as far as having that person back so similarly the devastation of owning human beings will never be able to be made right but we can try to make it more right more just with the solid and clear acknowledgement and apology for what has happened which still we don't have now, even in other countries when slavery ended, this might be a sign of how much we uh, value p uh, private property. That oftentimes when slavery ended, I think it was in France, they actually paid the slave owners because in a way it was like they were taking some of their property away. Uh, even it's, it's sad to even say it that their people were considered their property, but it was thought that the government should have to pay the people who were losing their property when their property even was human beings in the united states some say that might not have happened some slave owners actually were paid i think it was in in washington dc and some other areas but some people said well the damage that was caused by the civil war essentially would offset that but still we can see that mindset was actually making sure the slave owners were okay not that the slaves were really okay and so if we look in u.s history not only were things not fully acknowledged and apologized for in a very clear way, things were not made right after uh, the Civil War. It wasn't that everything was easy for the African Americans and the, the descendants of slaves. They still suffered through the Jim Crow era. And then even still, we've seen things up until this day where the war on drugs has targeted certain aspects of the population, especially black and brown uh, individuals, more than others. So not only has there not been an apology and acknowledgement, but the wrongdoing or the hurt has continued. And I think this brings up some really heavy issues of uh, people at times not wanting to acknowledge that their country has done something wrong. And I know almost anything I say about these issues already, I, I know it's very clearly going to be considered purely political or, or, or advocating for one side. Um, and I can understand that, that the way I, I talk about certain things will already make people think of a certain affiliation. Uh, I have biases, as everyone does, but I try to think about things in a more clear way about what I think is right and what I observe. And I think that when we look at what has happened in the United States without a clear restitution for what has happened, really having reparation of the relationship in some way between what has been done to the black Americans and to the descendants of slaves, 
without having that, we won't get to a, a good result. We won't get to the real peace that we can hopefully achieve of having everyone live together and really you know, even it's it's interesting, the word united is in the name of the country, but living in a united way, having that unity, I can't see it happening without a clear acknowledgement for what has happened. And now reparations when it comes to paying individuals, paying, let's say, the descendants of slaves, and, and people have made calculations about how much the labor was work, so worth, so you can talk about unpaid labor, how much the slaves, you know, all the types of ways you can calculate that. And it does get complicated. And of course, I don't have a simple answer uh, for how that, uh, let's say, a payment would be made, but that could be one aspect of it. I first think there should be some kind of formal acknowledgement and apology that is made by the government that's more clear. And then some payment might be made, but on top of that, um, really trying to dismantle the types of systematic prejudices and racism that exists to making things more fair. That when we look at education, for example, the quality of the education, even in elementary school, that black children are getting overall is going to be not as good as that for white children. And <clears throat> this is not something we should accept or tolerate. Um, and I hope we recognize the importance of that. Kind of, it might sound like I'm getting emotional. I'm more losing uh, my voice, even though I am emotional about this topic. But when we look at the, the quality of the education, should it be determined by a child's race or uh, essentially where they are born? I don't think that's fair. And so until we make these things more uh, equal, more fair, I don't think we also can still say that restitution has been made, that we've made things right, that we've eliminated the treatment of individuals being different based on their race, uh, where they were born, or their background. And so as I was hinting to or alluding to before, for some people, I think, or for some individuals, we talk about patriotism, nationalism, and how do you define these things. And sometimes the way people look at this is that, well, if you really love America, you would never say it did something wrong or bad. They might not say that clearly, but in some ways, that's how they'll say, it. or if you say things aren't good in America now, you should just leave, or you don't realize how good you have it. And I love uh, the United States of America. I was born here. If I was not born here, if I was born in Iran, I probably wouldn't have, I definitely wouldn't have all the, the rights I have here. So I don't think that U.S. is worse than Iran. So when I, you know, people, sometimes people say that, say, well, go back to this country or go back to that country. That's not at all what I am uh, thinking or talking about when I say that. I'm very grateful to, to be in this country. Um, and I recognize how great it is has been for, for someone like me to have that experience, but I also see how it can be better, and I don't see that as um, coming from a bad place. It's actually coming from a place of love. If you love someone and you see them doing something that hurts them or can be better, actually out of your love, you will tell them to do better. If you have a child and your child says two plus two is five, you don't correct them and say it's four because you're angry or don't think they're that good. It's because you love them and want the best for them. So genuine love means genuinely acknowledging with the individual, whoever it is, or if it's a nation, about what's going on. So we have to look at what the United States has done, a lot of very, very good things. It's been the leader in a lot of ways, but done a lot of wrong and bad things and might continue to 
be doing those things. And to me, it's not to say you don't love the country to bring those things up. It's out of love for the country and for its citizens. Really, when we think of the country, it's made up of the citizens that you would mention something like this or that I talk about this. It's because I, I don't want there to be, um, of course, I think African-Americans in the United States still get treated much more poorly than uh, non-African-Americans and then whites, so that's not okay. And I also want things to be better for everyone. I think until this acknowledgement and apology doesn't happen by, by the government to the descendants of the slaves in the United States, we won't have the type of peace and unity that we can have. Just like I was saying when we talk about an interpersonal relationship, until you have those people bringing up the hurt and the acknowledgement, the forgiveness, that whole process, you can't have a strong and healthy relationship. Similarly, between groups of people or individuals, the same thing um, is happening, that we, we need to make sure we have that acknowledgement and that apology. And I'm seeing um, someone on the Instagram Live saying, what about the Native Americans? And, and you're right. And I mentioned a bit about how some things have been done to try to repair that um, relationship, but probably not enough. So um, I, I did mention that before, that there have been things done, but the same has not been done for the African-Americans. And even still, that's all part of the history. You know, history is not something that means America is all bad or all good. America, uh, history is a very complex thing. And every human being has do, done good and bad things. And every country has done good and bad things. But what's important is as an individual or as a nation to acknowledge and recognize those wrongdoings. By denying them, you are actually doing something worse. If I hurt you and deny that I hurt you, that makes it worse, doesn't make it better. So by denying these true aspects of our history, it's not actually a loving thing, it's denial. And that not only is that denial bad for looking at our past, but it's going to make our present and our future worse. So I hope that we will have a genuine acknowledgement and apology in the United States for what has happened, what the experience of the African-Americans has been in the descendants of slaves in order to lead to some type of justice that then leads to some kind of reparation, not just reparations towards the descendants of the slaves, but reparations of the rift in the United States, which still exists. That brings us to the end of tonight's show. Thank you to Farhuda here in the studio. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Farid Alakwi. Have a wonderful night.